There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. To those listening on the podcast feed, welcome. To those checking us out on YouTube, Thanks for looking at the new and improved video feed. We've got six or seven episodes now on the YouTube channel there. If you want to see the video version of this conversation here, uh, you can visit youtube.com slash the James Jenkins. Some other schmuck in England has James Jenkins, but I'm the James Jenkins. So check us out on YouTube and I'd like to thank our guest for being with us today. I don't know Alex personally, but we've corresponded on LinkedIn a bunch of times over the last couple of years. And uh, I had an open call for guests like I do about twice a year just to see who's out there that I may not be aware of and exercise my network and see what interesting guests are, are just lurking out there waiting to, to be connected with. And Alex was kind enough to reach out and say, hey, got some interesting things going on in my life right now I think might be a good episode. And I, uh, you know, reached out and looked at his LinkedIn and, and did a little bit of back and forth. And I'm like, yes, you are, my friend. Let's go. Let's have that episode. So uh, Alex Toller, thanks so much for being here and representing your story to us. I'm not going to get into any of that story. I almost said who you are and what you're doing. I'm like, wait a second. Let's let Alex tell the story. Don't steal it from him, James. So <laughs> Alex Toller, thanks for being here, man. Thank you. Um, excited to be on and uh, share a story. Hopefully, help guide people in the right direction, or voice at least avoid some uh, pitfalls of the industry and uh, stay in it for the long term is the ultimate goal. Man, man, insurance podcasting and industry podcasting in general is kind of a weird thing in 2023, right? It's this juxtaposition, this uh, this collision of entertainment and education and edutainment, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, when you and I get together, we're going to talk shop. We're going to ask you some questions. You're going to tell some stories, share your perspective. And somewhere along the line, our Freedom Jumpers, our audience out there, hopefully are going to learn a thing or two and have some fun while you're driving in the vehicle or, or sitting. I don't. Does anyone actually listen to a podcast when you're sitting stationary somewhere? I swear the only time I ever listen to a podcast is when I'm sitting in my truck going somewhere. I don't know how you are, Alex, but that's how I am 100% of the time. I've never listened to a podcast while stationary. So anyways, I, I don't know where, where I was going with that, but our audience is going to love hearing from you. So I'm going to hand you the microphone, my man. All what right. is, what's the Alex Toller 
backstory. How in the world did you get to this current chapter of where you are now? Feel free to go all the way back, you know, right. uh, childhood, adolescence, whatever. What did you want to be when you were growing up and how have things played out to get you to this current chapter? I wanted to be a professional baseball player when I was growing up, or maybe a firefighter, one of the two, probably a combination of both. And neither of those are where I'm at in life today. But while I was in high school, I had a good friend, family friend who consider a mentor, became a business partner at one point in life, actually. It was, I was going to college in 2010 is when I graduated high school. And so we're just on the back end of financial crisis coming out of that and was going to Missouri State University, and this good friend was graduating from there with a finance degree, and I was going down and was going to get a finance degree, and he was like, I can't find a job, period. And he's like, but what you need to do is you need to look at all the guys over in the risk management and insurance department all have like five job offers in 2010. He's mm. like, and I imagine that's going to continue. If like, So the whole idea was, how do I get a job when I graduate? Like, just bare bones thoughts of where the head was. I was like, all the finance or the risk management and insurance degree was adjacent to the finance department. I think I'm like eight hours short of a double major in finance. So I went that path was a relatively small program, 35 or 40 of us in there at the time. And uh, it was true. You left school with a ton of opportunities because there's nothing sexy about the, at least when you're 22 years old, there's nothing sexy about the insurance world. Um, mm. and, uh, so while I was in school, American national and pack, um, their PNC headquarters is in Springfield, Missouri. I worked for them as a personal lines, homeowners underwriter, literally just looked at houses all day and upset agents telling them that square footage was wrong or houses undervalued, or this just is outside of our risk appetite. That was my view of what underwriting was, and it was really left a really bad taste in my mouth. It was very boring. <laughs> the new business prevention department is what I call it. Absolutely. But then I kind of like later on in life, I learned what these commercial underwriters are doing and we'll get yeah. into what, where I'm at now and like what these medical stop loss guys are doing. I'm like, all right, you actually have a pretty damn cool job and you're dealing with very large scale stuff. Yep. It's not these, I was making nine bucks an hour back then, underwriting homes. Ooh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> for, for anyone that thinks I was serious about that the description of underwriting, I'm 100% not serious. I just find that that term comical. So to people that are like, what did he just call us? Did he just call underwriters the new business provider? No, I was kidding. It's okay. Chill out. So that's what I was doing, though, unfortunately. I, I was like, you. I had a rubric that I had to grade every house against, and it was like, it wasn't even like being nice, like, hey, Mr. Agent, can you just see if you're insured? We'll do X, Y, Z, or hey, we'll let this one little thing pass. It was like, no, you didn't check all eight boxes, and uh, we're going to go ahead and send out a cancellation notice. And it oh, was no. like just following it to a T, and no, I didn't know any better. And then I got on the sales so, side. So wait a like, second. Were, were your underwriting post-binding back then? Yes. During like the that 60, happened post binding. Post binding. Wow. During like the 60 day look back, or the, yeah, you had like 60 days. Wow. On the initial underwriting. Oh, that must have sucked. I am so sorry. Yeah. And you just, well, you'd, you'd adjust coverage A on these folks. And so all of a sudden the house is worth 20% more, premiums going up 400 bucks. Yeah. You're doing nothing but talking to pissed off retail agents all day long. Absolutely. It, Man. I, I knew, I didn't know any better at the time. And um, wow. That sounds miserable. I'm not going to lie. I'm not surprised you moved on to other things. And to only be making nine bucks an hour and putting up with a bunch of angry people literally day after day, that must have been draining. It wow. Was, it was wild. I was in school, so it was like a paycheck while I was in school. And I, 
I had all my nights open and uh, it, quite frankly, I was able to go in pretty hungover most days. So it was, mm. uh, <laughs> it was a job that you could wow. just, just sit there and kind of click through. It was like, this might be the perfect college job. It was not, but uh, wow. it, it worked out. Ended up working for a state farm agent. I left there, ended up working for a state farm agent uh, while I was still in school and uh, learned the service side over there. And it was doing some evening cold calling for it was my first taste at like outbound prospecting as just a, a gather quote information. And then his inside sales team would put it together and uh, send quotes out the next day. And uh, that spun into a post-graduation. My now wife had a year left of nursing school. And I was like, oh, I'm going to hang out in Springfield for one more year and uh, worked for the state farm agent on the production side was a good place to kind of just learn sales and kind of try things out, but ended up moving on from there. And when we moved back to St. Louis, July of 2015, hung a shingle with an independent agency for about a year and a half, and then moved on from there and was at my previous place for six and a half, seven years till I sold my PNC book in April of this past year. And now I am working for a middle market employee benefits firm that focuses on self-funding that's based here in St. Louis, and my full role is just production. Uh, there's no management of people. There's no building processes, anything else. It is go shake hands and uh, drive business and uh, where I wanted to be. So that's a nice short rubric. While I was a producer or was writing PNC business, I didn't know any better at first. And so it's no shot at the home and auto industry. That's where I started, and I was writing a lot of small, like two, three thousand dollar BOP type stuff on the commercial side, doing some small ENS work, and was really grinding through it, and was kind of lacked like that mentorship. I didn't have any of that, so I didn't know what I was doing. It wasn't necessarily right or wrong. It was I just didn't have anybody to say, hey, just stick in one lane and get really damn good at it. I was like, oh, I've got an insurance license. I can sell anything and everything under the sun, mixing in some life policies or little individual health policies there and like just was dragging my focus all over the place driving 45 minutes to get bond signatures for like a hundred dollar ERISA bond. Yeah. Or just wow. one of those things. That and you're making, you're making $30 on that to spend 45 minutes of your life one way. And then another 45 minutes of your life the other way. Yeah. So you're not making that much more than nine bucks an hour once you get done with everything. No, not at all. But it's it was one of those things where it's like it would have been great to like have a mentor in the background saying like, hey, do wow. this or don't do that. But at the same time, I can look back on those experiences and um, and really like lean in and like know that in the future when we're the place I'm at now, if we're bringing on more salespeople, it's like, hey, we're going to work through. I mentioned I don't want to design processes. Well, we're going to have a pretty de defined sales process and like we're doing things this way. Because I don't want you driving to Oliver Gosgren or to make a couple hundred bucks. I want you making thousands of dollars, supporting your family, chasing dreams and goals that that you want to do, um, versus the making thirty bucks on a Risa bond, hoping you get the rest of the business at some other point in time. No more of that. Man, <laughs> wait, wait, and hope is the absolute worst strategy. I don't know if there's a worse way to run a sales operation. You hit on a couple of things, Alex, that I, I, I'm going to comment on very briefly before we advance here. And it is a drum that I find myself banging so much. And it you can't be a generalist. You can't be a, you know, I'll do whatever. You know, whatever comes along. Yeah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I'll write some over here, some over there. Sure, I'll take that meeting. Why not? 
If sure, why not is coming out of your mouth, Freedom Jumper, you probably need to revisit your vision, mission, and values like we've talked about a few times on the podcast. You know, figure out what you want to be. Who do you want to be? What do you want to do? And then do that, whatever that is. Because doing the, the dabble thing, the generalist approach, as I call it, and I'm not sorry, I know I catch some flack for it in the comments and the private messages, I call it the, the mediocre generalist. Because you're not really great or best in class at anything. You're good enough at a bunch of things. So Alex, I'd right love place, to hear right your time. Yeah, you know, sometimes you get lucky, right? As my grandfather used to say, a blind beggar gets lucky once in a while. It was like, okay, that's kind of harsh, Grandpa, but all right. So you had, Alex, you had the opportunity to make, from my count, three different pivots in your career within the insurance industry. I'd love to hear your thought process on those decisions. And it doesn't sound like you ever chose to step out and be a scratch principal for your own agency from zero, like doing your own thing, flying your own flag. I'm not saying that you necessarily need to do that ever. Uh, I just I love it when someone has a different career path than I did. I always love hearing it's like, help me understand what brought you here. Like when you're looking at all the pros and cons, how did you navigate those waypoints on your career? Because a lot of folks listening to this podcast are on the before part of a lot of these decisions that our guests make in these these conversations. Absolutely. It's your past, but it's someone else's future. Absolutely. Yeah. So the decision with State Farm, I saw we were kicking a ton of business over to another gentleman who was an independent agent on stuff we couldn't write, a lot of commercial stuff. And I kind of like knew, I was like, yeah, I kind of like more of a commercial guy. And so I um, ended up same agency that that gentleman was part of, just a large master aggregator at the time, hopped on with them. Lo and behold to me, there was like their contracting in Missouri wasn't great at the time. And so I was sitting here and I'm like losing out to some regional carriers in Missouri when I'm like, oh, I finally got an opportunity to quote something. And then all of a sudden, oh, they went with auto owners or they went with Secura or hell, even at the time, they didn't have a nationwide contract. And I'm like, man, I got a buddy who's over at the place I was at most recently. He's over there. I'll at least give him an opportunity to look at, we'll see what kind of rates he comes up with. We'll see what I come up with. I'll win or he'll win. And then after about a year of doing that, I was with that other group for about a year and a half, but a year of really passing business to him, the guy that he was working underneath where he owned his book of business and they provided the management system, they re- they provided the contracts and then they reconciled all commissions. They were like, Hey, why don't you just come over here and work with us? If you're, if you're going to be sending business our way, why don't you just come work? And it's, it's a name. And uh, I'll say it was with DeWitt insurance here in St. Louis that was founded by the um, Charles DeWitt, who was the owner of the St. Louis Browns baseball team. Founded in 1925, so 100-year name. Their nephews, Bill DeWitt Jr. and Bill DeWitt III, were the ones who owned St. Louis Cardinals now. And so you have that legacy of like, hey, this is a really ingrained name in, in the community. And oh, by the way, wasn't a massive, massive shop, but had the contracts to where I could be competitive in a lot of situations, which kind of maybe led me to being more of a generalist than necessarily focusing on a niche, but it was like, at least when I'm getting opportunities, I know I'm going to have an opportunity to win at this account. So I made the jump over there and um, they let you run it as your own shop outside of you're not making carrier decisions. Um, You still had to kind of follow like a binding rubric 
um, to make sure that you're not placing just junk business with them. But outside of that, it's you're by yourself. If you need staff, you go hire the staff um, and they're just taking their cut off the top for contracting, commission reconciliation, and um, pretty much, yeah, that was that's what they were doing. So they were more acting like a an aggregator or a network rather than a retail brokerage that you were joining a team. You, you in essence, were a scratch principal then at the DeWitt I, group, I was. Right? I just didn't have to go. Uh, do, do, I didn't have to go find vet my agency management system. I didn't have to go vet out, get carrier contracts. Mm. They had the volume with all the carriers. It's a model that's, I can't say I haven't, I've seen it much it's, outside of St. Louis. It's kind of a franchise it's model. Kind of a franchise you know, model. like, like a... Yeah, I mean, like Goosehead is very prevalent in this part of the country, and there's a lot of other types of things like a Brightway or TWFG or, or whatever the flavor yeah. might be. But it sounds like DeWitt was doing something like that, just on a on a local or regional. Yeah, level, very huh? local, regional. Missouri. There were two offices in Texas. I think there's one now. There's one down in Florida, and outside of that, it was really just here in Missouri. And uh, there were eleven or twelve of hmm. us who had offices, and uh, it was it was a good deal. They were great to work with. The thing that I ran into was I grew my book to a certain revenue level. And it was one of those things where it's like, all right, you either need to go buy a book of business off of somebody else to get some more scale to where you can have it. And they have a team and you're kind of taking over the team. Or I need to take a massive pay cut for myself to then hire somebody to really start building out that service side and found myself kind of in some unique situations where I had opportunities to buy two books internally where it ended up being the folks didn't want to retire and I wasn't going to hold them to it. Like, Hey, you want to sell, but at the same time, you, you're not ready to retire yet. Not going to be like, we, we said, we're going to do a sale at this date. I'm not going to hold you to it. This has been your lifeblood forever. You go ahead and keep going. And then I had an opportunity to buy an agency about a hundred miles from where I live currently in Illinois, rural part of Illinois, had a combination of an Erie Auto Owners and Secura contracts, which like mm. would have never found and was like, hey, you know what? This is a really good opportunity. And right when that was all going down, we had our second child who was born three weeks early and spent some time in the NICU and kind of really opened my eyes to like, hey, this agency is 100 miles from home. We're not moving any further from where we're at today. And you're going to be driving a couple of days a week back and forth, all, all rural, easy to get to, but it's still three and a half hours with the it's driving. A hundred miles is a hundred miles, man. Uh, yeah. And a lot of their, a lot of client, a lot of agriculture in that book of business. And when do farmers want to meet? They don't want to meet in the middle of the day. They want to have you come sit around their kitchen table at five thirty, six o'clock in the evening and sit down, review policies. And it's like, my wife works in... Nope. Life works in healthcare, so she's early mornings, and then I'm counting on you. I'll, I'll get the kids off, and I'm going to drive, and then I'll be home at nine o'clock at night while you've wrestled with the kids. And it was like, you know what? Not all. I forget who I heard the quote from. It sounds like you were a smart man walking on that opportunity. It would have been somebody finally bought it. It was a great opportunity, but I also was able to do some like inner reflection and like realize like, hey, is this really what I want to do? Am I chasing contracts right now? What am I doing? And I, uh, that's right around that same time, I got connected with Adam, who I work for now at Sampara. I, he and I have been connected. We reconnected around that same time, about six years later after we first met. He was hosting an event mm-hmm. here in St. Louis. I recognize a handful of his clients who were speaking, very well-known companies here in town. It's like, you know what? I'll reach out to him, see what the event's about. And then I heard their 
journey and their story talking about what these companies have done from a healthcare. Mind you, my wife works in healthcare. We just had a kid in the NICU who shows it ends up with a hundred thousand dollar bill when it was all said and done. And there were a lot of flaws in the system. And I was like, you know what? I've, I haven't been happy with the PNC side and it wasn't the business per se. It was, I never set boundaries around client contact um, and it, cause at the beginning, it's just like, Hey, here's my, you've got my Brent Kelly post about this all the time about being available all mm-hmm. the time. And I got people calling me at nine 30 at night while they're going, getting pulled over. Uh, hey, I need an auto ID card. And it's like, you wouldn't have, if you didn't know me, you wouldn't have called anybody else for an auto ID card. You would have taken the ticket. Um, and we would have settled this up tomorrow. I didn't have any technology where they were able to pull their ID card on it, on an app. And so it was little things like that. Like if your house is on fire, absolutely call me at nine thirty at night. We're going to get this. We're going to dive in. We're going to figure this out. People have billing issues and be like calling you at like eleven o'clock on a Saturday night, and they're like, "Hey, this bill looks like it's wrong." It's like, can't you wait till Monday? And I wasn't setting these ba- setting these Man. boundaries, and so it was Whew. it was really burning me out. Did a lot of stuff with David Carruthers. He was probably like, not probably, he was really the first mentor I had in the PNC world in the insurance world. Period. And I had a handful of middle market accounts. And it's like, I want to keep writing more and more of these. But I had this mental break where it's like, I can't, I don't want to get rid of all this small stuff in the background. And it was like, it was kind of a jump, get out. And then what I ultimately decided was, you know what, I can, my passions are realigned into the health insurance world. I liked what Adam was doing. I saw how, what his work, how it would have been valuable for my family to have been under to have potentially worked for one of his clients um, and the, the level of care and treatment we would have gotten from them. I've seen where the revenues are on that side to where it's like, Hey, you can go write five, six accounts in a year and you're, you're having a really good year as a producer. And what ultimately sold me was a team. Have, he's got a full team on the back end that you go write policies and do everything on the front end. The team takes it. And then I've got a client who I wrote really close, really early on being over there. And he's asking me, he's like, I don't know what you're good for these days because this entire team takes so good of care of me. I don't have to communicate with you anymore. And it's somebody I know personally, which is the best part about it. And so it's like, you know what? That's it's Isn't great. that great. And some days I'm kind of like, what do I do with all this, all Love this free that. time? Um, let's go prospect more. We're, we're in the heart of the fourth quarter. We're like 70 plans are renewing. You're looking at your one ones right yeah, now, brother. Uh, it, it could shake out to be a phenomenal. We, if a few things fall our way, it's going to be a phenomenal year. And if they don't go our way, we're still going to have had a really, really good year. And it's been a really big mindset shift on what is your ideal client profile and prospect within that. We do write business outside of our ICP, but that initial phone call is, do you align with our values? And is this kind of the path you're willing to take? We're not here just to be a quote mill. We're here to really drive change within your organization. And we have people who are like, absolutely, we can agree to it and we'll get those bound as well. But we're truly just marketing within our ICP. And um, it's a little bit longer of a sales process than the PNC side was, but it, it, yeah. it's been a really good change. And you can grow. I mean, a lot of guys talk about growing a million dollar book. And that's a more than a reality on this side to do in a couple of years. And some of the best producers we're seeing are five, $10 million revenue books of business. And it's all about kind of what's your target market? Do you have the team and the resources to support it? I think I saw you comment the other day about 
your goals going over a million plus next year as a, as a company. And it's like, you know what, let's, let's have those goals. Yeah. Um, I think I always define myself to like, that, that was, that was my book that not the yeah, company even better. I, that's let's yeah. go. And cause I, and I think yeah, it's, it's finally having that realization. Cause I think maybe you've hit on it before when you're at farmers, I don't know what necessarily metrics farmers was measuring you guys off of, but if you could, <laughs> if, Written premium policy count. They were the most unsophisticated operation, man. When I, I didn't even think about loss control until my fourth year. Like, my loss ratio kept me from getting a bonus in my fourth year. And that was the first time as an agent, no one, anyone had ever even spoken to me about profitability. I was like, well, your book's not profitable, so you're not getting this bonus. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Profit. Underwriting profit. What a concept. In a wild <laughs> so of course, now as, as I was like, what? What? Yeah, I guess I probably should be thinking about profitability, huh? As a captive agent, you never hear this stuff. And obviously, you and I and, and most of our listeners are very familiar with the idea of keeping an eye on loss ratio and protecting your good codes and the contingency and profit sharing carriers. You want to place A and B business. You don't want to C or F business with your really good carriers. There are other carriers that don't have good profit sharing, that don't have contingency, that you place the marginal accounts with because that's what you have to do to keep the lights on. And then the longer you're in business, the less you write those marginal accounts at all, which is where I think you and I both are right now in the life cycle of our respective agencies. So, And I don't want to shame business. It's just it, I had to really take a step back, and I think you did the same when you got rid of your P&Z book of business. It's... I've got a family I'm taking care of, but I also have personal goals and things I want to do throughout my life. Me staying on the PNC side and continuing to write two, three hundred dollar revenue home and auto accounts is was not going to get me to where I wanted to go from a goal standpoint. And not having a team in place to really help manage my middle market accounts and really take care of my best clients who were actually the easiest people in the world to work with, ironically was going to yep. make it difficult to grow that side. And it was like, not to say I took the path of least resistance. I'm learning a whole new industry, but I've got somebody who is, and I think somebody people always need to look for. I've got somebody who is a built-in mentor who, when I succeed, he succeeds and the agency continues to grow. Sure. I don't own Love anything it, anymore, anything else of that nature, but I promise you I can make plenty of money on this side to support family and everything else that I needed to do with a one track mind of stay in my ACP prospect, write new business and just keep going. Well, the thing that everybody has to come to grips with, I did, you do, and, and everybody else is how important is it for you to have your name on the door? And at the end of the day, if you get to have the life that you want, you get to have your daily look like you want it to look. Do your activities look like you want them to? Do your paychecks look the way that you want them to so your family can have the lifestyle that you want? Do you have freedom to do what you want when you want to? And if those things are yes, for a lot of people, it doesn't matter if your name's on the door. And I, I got to say, the older I get, the more I care about impact, the more I care about legacy and making a positive mark on the people around me, and the less I care about my name being on the door. At some point, my name might not be on the door. I certainly have no plans for that to happen anytime soon. And yeah, I like being in charge. I, I enjoy being able to control how things happen. But I, I can tell you right now, today in 2023, I turned 40 in January. 
I care a lot less about my name being on the door than I did five years ago. That's for sure. And it, it sounds like you decided that other things were more important to you than being the principal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not having to deal with some of the stuff that principal agents have to deal with that go on in the background that a lot of people aren't aware of going on. Like, I don't need that stress in my life at, at all. Full disclosure, I mean, it, I think it's worth noting. My wife mentioned she's in the medical field. She makes a very good living. And so that's definitely something for us to to balance on. But it also the goal Yay is for the sugar mamas out there. Yeah. For those of you that have a sugar mama, God bless you. We we had we went through this really funny phase where she kind of supported me early on in the business and then I grew it and then she went back to school. I supported her while she was in school and then I was like, I'm making a career change. And she was cool with it. I sold my book of business. So I had money come in from that. We're doing other things with it. But she was like, hey, we're at the point where it's like, let's, as we keep leaning on, let's all be happy. And yep. monetary isn't necessarily always the one thing to lean on for being happy. It definitely helps. But the time that we, she gets off work at 2.30 every day. And so if I'm home by 4.30, 4.45, and we get two and a half, three hours with the kids in the evening, we all love it. I, I travel a little bit but it's nothing out of the ordinary, too crazy. And it's planned in advance. So it's well known where we're going to be. And it's like our family's getting to spend quality time together. And, and that's what makes it worth it. Love it, man. Well, that's fantastic. Hey, Freedom Jumper. Are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. I would love for you to, to give kind of a crash course real quick. And we've got maybe 10 minutes left okay. in our conversation. I only have two more questions. And then I'll hand you the mic and we can talk about anything that you wanted to okay. or any questions that we haven't covered that you wanted to get into a lot of folks, myself included, for the most part, are terribly familiar with the benefits world. I understand group health insurance. I know the cafeteria plan. I know like group life, group disability, accidental death and dismemberment or whatever. That's where my knowledge personally ends. Like I know just enough to have kind of a good idea of what happens in the, the benefits world. What does your daily look like? Obviously, you're middle market, so you're not dealing with the crap like United Healthcare saying, oh, we're going to pay you 2%. And you know what? We're not really going to pay you nearly what we did before. We have some cash flow issues and decided that we're going to take it out of your paycheck instead of anyone else's. And I'm just picking on United. Everybody did it. I, I did health insurance as a farmer's agent okay. back in the day, way back in the day. Uh, and, and the full effects of Obamacare came along and individual health insurance became a very, very, very bad business to be in. Uh, totally not profitable. So I got out Se uh, several years ago. It was probably 2015, maybe 2016. But that's the only real understanding I have okay. of something on the benefits side of things. 
Why don't you give us a rundown of the sort of stuff that you're into, maybe even from a basic product knowledge, the kind of problems that you solve for your clients. And I know a lot of folks out there just aren't aware of what goes on in the benefits world. So we are primarily a middle market shop. We've got some stuff geared towards smaller companies, like 25 employees enrolled and bigger. But our I, like our ICP is really in that 100 to 500 employees enrolled in your business manufacturing, construction, a lot of just blue collar type work, public entity, school districts would be the areas that we really put a lot of our focus into. And what we're doing is, is we're doing self-funding, which it's like, oh, we're on the hook for all of our claims. In our world, we're self-funding with a stop loss policy in place to where you know what your max liability is for the year on your, for your group. And if claims don't hit a certain level, if you're claims don't max out for the year and your group performs well, whatever's not spent between the max and what you had in claims, that's yours for a company from a retention standpoint, as opposed to just using the UHC off the shelf, fully insured product for a 200 life group. I've got a manufacturing company, like 180 employees are on the plan. They're with Cigna and they would just cut their checks every single month. And then all of a Sudden, each year they get a renewal, and renewal is consistently going up 15, 20%. And it's like, well, why is our renewal going up like this on an annual basis? And the answer is, well, you guys have you got this guy over here who's on a medication, he's got a heart condition, et cetera. And that's why. And so the rates were going up because of this one member. Well, we came in and we do a lot of, and this is where I think my PNC side and why it helps. There's very little active risk management going on in employee benefits if any at all, where people don't know what services cost when you go to a doctor, you go to a hospital, et cetera, you're just waiting on a bill to show up and you're hoping that the network that gets a discount for you is going to give you the best deal. And we think that needs to change. We think that employers and their employees need to be empowered to be able to make decisions and know what things are going to cost before they go to the doctor. A great example is for an MRI. It could cost five grand at a hospital or it could cost 700 bucks at an outpatient at like just a freestanding um, imaging center. And so we're, pu- yep. we're putting plan designs together to where if your employee uses our in-house concierge team, calls the concierge team and says, Hey, my doctor said I need to get an MRI. You call the concierge team and it's like, okay, your doctor wants you to go inside the hospital and pay the five grand. You use this outpatient place. That's a mile further down the road. than you'd have to drive to the hospital. We're going to go ahead and waive your deductible you're going to pay no deductible on this plan because you're not only doing a favor for yourself, you're doing a favor for the group health plan to, to control cost. Yep. There are times where it doesn't work just because it's like, Hey, somebody had an emergency, had to go to the ER and you get those bills, but that's, that's what the stop loss insurance is sitting there for is to control those things. Yep. We're talking everyday services. So we're very big on prevention through using direct primary care, 24 hour ability to get on with a mental health care provider in the, procuring drugs at much lower cost by cutting out your three largest pharmacy benefits managers and really engaging in what we call active risk management with the employer, the same way they would on a, with workers comp or driver training, commercial auto. It's having this communication to their employees, showing them these are costs that you can control. And if you do, we're going to reward you. You don't have to. Mm. And so that's what we're doing. We can still do the 200 life group that just says, Hey, we want United healthcare. Um, we want to be fully insured. We're, we're fine with whatever. We still do some of that, but that is not where we're going from. Like our goal is to go in, operate on a fee only basis to where we're not 
We're not making commissions off of what we're selling. We're, our goal is to drive your cost down. So we're working off of a fee to where, hey, your premium went up 22% this year. I just got a nice raise again. Your premium went up 22% yep. this year because X, Y, and Z happened. My fee has still stayed the same. And we're doing our absolute best to control your cost again is where we're at. Well, and if you're if you're taking the killing commercial approach where you're instead saying, hey, my base fee is X and I'm going to take a percentage of the net savings to your organization. So my total comp is going to be Y if we perform. And if we don't perform, then it's it's going to stay at X instead. Now, I imagine that a lot of companies out there appreciate having their advisor, their their health insurance broker have skin in the game, make sure that loss control happens the way that it's supposed to, that their their broker is incentivized to make sure that their total cost goes down rather than disincentivized under the traditional compensation model. Absolutely. And it's crazy. And it's there have been a lot of law changes here in the last 18 months regarding compensation disclosure and a handful of other things, but there's still like a lot of hidden revenue streams within the business. Employers aren't necessarily privy to what their broker is making. So sometimes we'll put our fee on paper and they're like, there's no way in hell we're paying you guys that for a fee. And it's like, well, let's pause and just look where, what you're spending today. It's just, it's hidden or you're not finding out what all the compensation is. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay. Like we like the idea of transparency. And that's kind of our cornerstone is operating transparently by going into these self-funded with stop-loss type plans, employers now see where every last dollar in their health plan is being spent. It's no longer a mystery. And if you have bad years, you know what? They can come to grips with it because they're like, "What? we we spent so much money on healthcare this year and everything else. We can understand why our rates are going up. But if we have a really good year and the carrier says, hey, we want to stay flat on your premium, it's like, no, rates are going down, costs are going down. Um, because we have the data here to prove that this should be lower. Whereas a lot of times we'll be prospecting a group be like, oh, we got a we got a flat renewal this year. It's great. And it's like, well, flat renewal mm. means that carrier was super profitable on you this year. It's time for you to look at a different model or potentially review a different model. Uh and uh Wow. It's like when you lean in and go, Hey, did they share any of those profits with you? Did you get any of those cost recoveries back? Because uh, obviously most of the time, no, of course. What, what you're describing, Alex, sounds a whole lot like a single-parent captive on the PNC side. And with, with the fully self-funded, with a stop-loss, with acts kind of like reinsurance on the PNC side. Am I thinking along the right lines here as far as an analogy goes? Is, is it similar? I think that would be a really good analogy. And then there's even like group captive purchasing options for stop-loss where an employer will buy their stop-loss out of a group captive. It's where they're seeding a little bit of money up front as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're going part- to participate in the underwriting profit of that captive. More so in our world, it is building out what your max is, but and they're just funding claims on a monthly basis um, until the end of the year. But I think that was a really good analogy or kind of where you go. And some groups can set up a single parent, actually truly set up a single parent captive for their benefits if they'd like to. Mm. A lot don't because it's there's a lot more that goes into it. And there's a lot of regulatory. Yeah, there's a lot of headache. Yeah. And there's, I mean, you you can invest, you can invest that money, but at the end of the year, you're also getting anything that wasn't spent on claims right back. And I know a lot of guys are like, oh, well, you make five and a half in a money market right now. Um, but two years ago, if we told you that you're making nothing in a money market at the time, you weren't concerned about how much money you had outlaid in a claims account 
until the end of the year. And guess what? With a fully insured carrier, you were spending that money and you were never seeing a dime come back. No. Um, is the way we're looking at it. Whew, man, a lot, a <laughs> lot. It's a mouthful. It, it It's a lot to consume. And I, I know a very common play in the PNC world when you get to a certain point is to get into benefits because as you start to go into middle market on the PNC side, it's a very logical step to pair that with some sort of benefits operation because the folks that you're calling on absolutely have those relationships. And if you're not careful, the benefits broker will cross-sell into the PNC accounts and either have it in-house if it's one of these alphabet shops or they have their friend across town who only does middle market PNC. And next thing you know, someone's back door into your account. Mm-hmm. So as you think about the, the benefits industry, and for anybody out there who may be interested in starting to move into the group benefits side of things, obviously the really, really small stuff is super hard and not very profitable. You know, if you're less than 25 lives, it's very, very difficult to, to really make a go of that. I know that because I've tried two or three times in the last four years to figure out what the, the first step would be in a benefits operation. And I've abandoned it every time because the market just wasn't in alignment with the kind of accounts that I was wanting to place. And I don't have the apparatus to place the 10 live account. I'm not interested in doing benefits for you know, a contractor down the street with 12 W-2s. Like that just doesn't work for us. So there's definitely a, a threshold that everybody needs to be at before it makes sense to have that conversation. Most of the listeners of this podcast probably aren't to that point in their career. I'm not to that point in my career. And you know, a lot of the folks that listen to you know, Agency Freedom are in the first several years of their career or they're still on the captive side. And they're just kind of putting pieces together of what they're going to do at some point in the future. So with that context in mind, I'd love to get your advice on how to get ready to go in that direction at some point in the future. What's the best way to maybe start dipping your toe into those benefits waters before you're actually opening a benefits agency or looking to acquire one? I think what it ends up happening is, is you probably have your middle market client that has, I say they have 75 employees and, um, they end up with their benefits renewal and they call you up and they're like, Hey man, like this, this renewal is terrible. What I found and it's, I, we didn't talk a ton about it, but I think mentorship, it's unreal how great mentorship is and how much it can push you into the future. Yep. Find somebody in your area you align with that might be an independent benefit shop and, and talk with them about the case you're working on there. You're typically going to find most benefits brokers are of that 50 plus age anyway, as well. There's not, a big influx of young producers on the benefit side from what I've noticed um, outside of some of the big shops, your big ABC houses, publicly traded companies and lean on somebody and say, Hey, I'll split commissions with you guys. Like I got a lead, like, and then kind of show me how this is working and do some of those and then see like, Hey, is this worth my time to really pursue further? Or maybe you end up working out where you've leveraged a really good deal with shop in town who's uh, you're referring business over to, you're making enough money off of the referral relationship and you find out, Hey, this isn't something I want to do. Or you're like, you know what? I love this. We need to open our own department and and go forward. But I think talking with somebody local or even somebody who's on the other side of the country from you. So you're not competing with them in the future is, is a great first step. There's a decent amount of resources out there. It, 
it was harder to find the, the good resources uh, where our agency is a Health Rosetta Institute member. Our principal has gone through their training and kind of adheres to their stuff. And that's kind of a good way to, to get your feet wet of like finding these different these different groups to kind of piggyback on. Because like yourself, I tried dipping my toe and I had a lot of veterinary clinics insured when I was on the PNC side. And it was like, oh, I can go pick up their 20 life group health easily. Like this should be easy. And my very first one just like blew up on me. I had no, no idea what I was doing. No support <laughs> from the carrier. And then I'm sitting there with my hat in my hand. And I called somebody else in town and was like, Hey, I royally screwed this up. Any chance you want to clean it up and you can have all of the, all the revenue. And he was like, absolutely. I'll take it. Uh, hmm. And made me look good, but it was like, I had no clue what I was doing. And unfortunately you can't lean on the carriers on the health side nearly as much as PNC agents can lean on underwriters within their carriers to be mm. like, Hey, walk me through this, show me what to do. The carrier is just going to send you a spreadsheet of your 20 life group and say, Hey, here's the rates for your group. There's 900 options for them. Good luck. Mm. You know, from a distribution standpoint, this is my last question. And then we can land the plane with anything that you have, or we can just give your information out and uh, get you back to your afternoon on the distribution side of things. Obviously in PNC, it's, we have basically three or four options. You can have a direct contract, you can have a sub-agent, you can have a wholesaler or some sort of MGA kind of relationship, or you have direct-to-consumer or some kind of embedded solution. Is it similar to that on the, the benefits side of things, where if maybe you, you're trying to get started, but you don't have enough business to warrant going after direct appointments with these companies, are there wholesale relationships, brokerage relationships like there is in PNC for someone to kind of gently move in that direction without really committing to a production target with a direct code? So the wild thing is, is you will, at least in Missouri, I know it's different it's state by state specific as far as uh, contracting goes with carriers. In Missouri, your your four big, your Blue Cross, United, Cigna, um, Anthems, actually Blue Cross and Anthem are the same company. I forget who the last one is. Anthem, you can go and get a direct contract with zero business with them. They will, they're similar to life insurance carriers where, hey, Mr. Life Insurance Carrier, I want to write some business with you. Let me get a contract. That being said, the level of service you're going to get from those as you're a new agent could be lower in their response time. You send them a group, it might be days or weeks before you get a response on it, whereas the agencies that got good volume are getting like instantaneous response. There is Benefit Ball. You're familiar with them. They kind of work as a deal where you can like go write business through them. You split commission. They do all this service on their side in-house. Mm. And then you'll also find local agencies. We've kind of got a level-funded health product for down to that 25 employer threshold that we've kind of streamlined ourselves. And it's um, we're doing an MGU model with other agents as well. Mm. It's not something we've really advertised. It's new this year. We're really just beta testing it on ourselves and people we already knew in the industry said, hey, let's take a look. We pretty much take the work that we do on a large case and we put it all into a, we defined everything where all the contracts stay the same and there's not much change. And uh, we go get the numbers, put it together. And then your 25 life group can leverage our concierge service, some of these um lower cost medications, things of that nature. And so you can find, there's agents across the country who are doing this stuff all over. So you can find guys who are doing that to learn from as well. Hmm. Man, it's fascinating. I, I'm i not 
to the point yet that I'm ready to pull the trigger on that. But within the next two years, I certainly will be ready to aggressively move in that direction. So, Alex, this has been just a, a very enlightening conversation. I appreciate you taking some of your valuable time to, to share with us your story and your perspective here. For anybody who wants to connect with you personally, I know LinkedIn is a, a platform that you're pretty active on. Uh, is that the best place for someone to search you out and find you for a conversation? Yeah, I would think LinkedIn would be the easiest. I try to keep my work inbox very clean. Uh, it's, a, it's a mess right now. But yeah, LinkedIn, I'm on there daily. Okay. And so I can, if you want to send me a message on there, just Alex Toller with Sampara out of St. Louis, Missouri is who I am and where you'll find me. Easy enough, man. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to touch on before we land the plane? I think I just lean on the the mentorship. And I think for, especially if you were gearing this conversation back to people who haven't made that jump yet, think twice about before you make the jump and really kind of figure out like, are you really ready for this? Um, something that we talked about right before, read your contracts and, and know what exit clauses look like, things of that nature. There's a ton more resources today than there were seven years ago when I was making decisions. There's a lot more guys who've done this or at least have been vocal and open about it. But finding really leveraging, leaning on mentors, don't waste people's time per se. But if you're really serious and aggressive about this, like I know, for instance, James, you're with SIA, um, SIA agency. And sometimes they get really bad rap on, oh, that's a terrible contract, X, Y, Z is what you hear. But only if you intend to fail. Exactly. If Um, if you don't intend to fail, it's a great contract. It's, um, but you, you hear that and it's like, well, why don't you talk to somebody who's part of, the master agency or one of these agencies. I know the Valley guys pretty well here in St. Louis. Yeah. And it's, but you got to find what's right for you. Maybe going and just getting a Hartford contract for yourself and going and producing what Hartford needs. And that's how you're going to grow your business is a great, great way to start, but finding a mentor. And I think really niching down or just having a really target market that you stay in, you might not see the fruits as early and as fast, but it's going to save you from so many headaches in the future. Um, I definitely agree. It's a very complicated choice right now with distribution and, and deciding to go independent is a much more complex process than it was four and a half years ago when, when I was and seven years ago when, when you were. So Absolutely. excellent advice there, my man. Uh, I think that's a great place for us to end. He is Alex Toller with Sempara HR, the benefits brokerage. He's out of St. Louis, Missouri. And this has been another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast Reach out to us uh, on the website, jamesjenkins.com. There's a contact form there. You can always hit me up on LinkedIn. That's my platform of choice. And we will talk to you soon. Make it a great day, boys and girls. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go. Let's go.